Do, 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 do. His name is Scott Minor. Do, 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 do. And this is his podcast. Hi, I'm Scott, and that was my friend Gil. Um, I love that dude. But maybe one day I can teach him how to actually pronounce my name. I have been thinking about doing this for a very long time. I've had a number of abortive starts. I. I've wanted, like I've had, I think part of it is le mieux est l'ennemi du bien. The best is the enemy of the good. I have wanted, like I've had this vision of what I wanted to do. And that vision, I think is actually a very good idea, but to actually do it has proven extremely difficult. And what I want to do instead is actually make something. and. What I'm doing now, in the hope of being able to execute on that vision one day, is building up assets, so video in addition to the audio that I'm recording now. And my hope is that one day I can go back and, uh, or preferably, ideally, pay somebody to go back, take these video assets, and put them together with the audio, actually make the thing that I really want to make. But in the meantime, I'm going to make something. So this is Tangents, and the reason I call it Tangents is I've had a number of podcasts in the past. I've done a number of things on, well, not big radio, but college-level radio, little things like that. I've, I've really enjoyed it, and I've taught as well. I've done, uh, not quite been like a professor in the sense of tenure track, but I have been a professor at university, uh, teaching assistant, I've done you know, various levels of that kind of thing. And there are certain things that I really like about it and certain things I really don't like. I, I love when you're teaching somebody, seeing that light go off. You, know, you, you see that thing where they don't get it and then you hear the click and they got it. And it's just, it's awesome, frankly. I love certain aspects of teaching. And I loved when I was an undergrad. I know a lot of people don't like school, but which I think honestly, I feel like this is uh, very similar to a lot of people don't like physics. And I don't think that it's that physics is bad or that school is bad. I think it's that you've had a lot of bad teachers. You've had a lot of people who didn't know algebra, didn't know math, didn't know how to really explain these things. And maybe they probably didn't understand them enough to understand why they're so great. And so they didn't convey that. And I would like to convey some of that. But I also, in my, in my fairly long period of education, uh, which I hope is not complete, um, I, I, I took more time after high school, just to give you some perspective. I was in school longer after graduating high school than I was before. So that puts some bounds on these things. And if I was going to live indefinitely, if you know, I wasn't. If I was going to be like biologically thirty and could go a thousand years, I'd spend decades more in undergrad. I periodically would come back to it. I would go back and uh, get more PhDs. I'd get an MD. I'd get a JD. Just would collect that stuff. Uh, I, I I love learning and knowledge for its own sake. Uh, and I I think that is an intrinsic bit of human nature. I, I really do believe that 
Most people, when you get down to it, like to learn. They, they may have had this suppressed. Uh, you have a lot of people who, um, maybe their parents, they asked a couple too many questions and their parents went, ah, just, you know, just shut up. And uh, you had a lot of people who had bad experiences in school, who weren't nurtured in the way that they could have been. And so they learned to not like learning. They learned to become incurious. But I, I think human nature is curiosity. Human nature is to want to get better, to expand ourselves. And I think this is a, a great disservice to people to, to teach them this, that education is hard and bad and sucks. I mean, obviously some things are hard. Some things are intrinsically hard. A lot of things worth doing are hard. But that doesn't mean that they're hard in the sense that you can't do it. Um, and, and that also doesn't mean, like, I, I, one thing that drives me completely fucking bonkers is that there's this idea, pervasive, just toxic idea, uh, that somehow education is just job training. Like the whole purpose of school to a lot of people, and not just college education, but high school and even middle school, is just to prepare them for working. And it's just, it's like an advanced vocational training. This is sick, it is wrong, and I hope, like one of the things I hope to accomplish with this is to perhaps push the ball a bit in the other direction. One of the things that I've always loved in classes has been professors that go off on tangents. It's my nature to do that. It is a thing that, you know, even in the, like my, probably my favorite class of my entire I was gonna say college career, but my entire educational career, I think my favorite class was the undergrad level virology class that uh, was taught by Bert Jacobs at ASU. Uh, he is no longer teaching that class. He is very successful academically, which means not only is he an amazing professor, but he gets a lot of funding, does good research. And so because our system is so fucked up, that meant that he got pulled out of the classroom and got to focus on research full time, which he may well prefer, I don't know. But the incentive structure is such that when you have an amazing professor like this, they are actually discouraged from teaching. And my one of the saddest things that I've ever seen was when I, I mean, Obviously, there's a, there's a scale of sadness. This is not like uh, kids are dying from starvation in a world where we have so much wealth that everybody could be fed. This is, that is true sadness. Uh, I'm obviously not dismissing that level of sadness. We're coming here into the sort of normal day-to-day -day sadness. One of the saddest things in that area that I've ever seen was I, my ex-wife got her PhD at ASU about the same time I got mine. And hers was in microbiology. She took a virology class. And the professor who I will not name, uh, who came and took over this class from Dr. Jacobs, was so bad. Like, I mean, she was explaining to me how much she hated this course and how painful it was. And I actually went to one of the classes because I, I remembered this class was my, it was so awesome. It was so great. And it was great because I learned so much. It was great because he would say things like coconut kadang kadang, which is just 
the word makes you laugh. I, at least makes me smile a little bit. He would say that stuff and you'd go off on these tangents and they'd be interesting. You'd learn a lot. It was, it was awesome. So the person who took over for him was not someone who wanted to teach. This was somebody who, if she could have, would have been a full-time researcher and probably was a very good researcher. But she was kind of forced into teaching. And her version of teaching this class was basically taking this virology book that we had, which was, um, there, there's a, a, one of my favorite books on, uh, on general relativity, tensors, and all of this kind of stuff, the place where I really got my first introduction to tensor calculus and all of that, was this thing called gravitation. And people call it the telephone book because it's like this monster, big black book um, that basically looks like the yellow pages, if you know what those look like. It was a telephone book. Very thick, very dense, but very good. And we had this virology book, which was very similar. It was just a... This one was not... The, the gravitation book basically took you from no math. It was actually a remarkable book, and I highly recommend it if you're interested in even just calculus. It took you from no math at one end to advanced tensor and spinner calculus, um, geometric geometric equations and things that are, or I guess at the time the book was written, were the state of the art in general relativity. And you could learn all of this from that book. It was amazing. Uh, I, I was one of those books I got when I was, uh, got, got it when I was in high school. And I worked through it and it was one of these, like you read through it the first time and you get little pieces of it and then you read through it again and you get more and more. And just there's so much in there. I could still read it today and learn a bunch of stuff. Um, unfortunately, I got rid of that book when I... Uh, I got rid of all of my physical books years ago when I moved to Paris. Um, so you can see tangents. But getting back to this, we had this virology book, which was just a bunch of these articles, telephone book kind of thing. And this woman would come in these classes and basically her idea of teaching was scanning pages from that book, putting them up on PowerPoint, and then literally reciting the text. And this was not a book that was meant to be read. This was not like that gravitation book. This was a bunch of articles on different virus families, uh, genera and species, this kind of stuff. And this book, not a book that is like, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, good book, very useful resource, but not a book that you want read to you. And definitely not a book you won't read to you by someone with no sense of passion or interest in the subject. I mean, you could see, it's, it's a funny thing. You could see she hated doing it. You could see she didn't want to do it. And it made you hate the class. So I sat in the class and it was excruciating. Also, there's this horrible press, horrible pressure for making classes longer. Um, this one is a thing, it, it, there are many systematic issues. Um, I'm going to talk a lot about Arizona State because that's a place I have a lot of experience with and I've seen kind of the trajectory over time for um, a while and I've seen some of the behind the scenes as well. Um, but it's a systematic problem that uh, exists in a lot of places. There's this pressure for not having Monday, Wednesday, Friday courses, which were 50 minutes typically. And for me, I have a pretty decent attention span. I have a decent ability to focus. But I find, you know, by the end of 50 minutes, I'm sort of, you know, I'm ready to go. 
And then there would be these Tuesday, Thursday courses, which often would also have the professors who were less engaged or uh, the, the worst one who, I'm not even gonna tell you what the course was, but when I was an undergrad, there was someone who I'm pretty sure um, was pretty far on the asperger spectrum. And she was a very competent researcher. I actually did some undergrad research with her and I learned a lot. But in terms of instruction, and this one wasn't that she didn't want to be there, it was just she was very shy and just did not make eye contact with the course the whole time and just looked down the whole time and spoke in a very continuous monotone way without actually saying anything or spacing or parsing the words. And it was just excruciating. And it was a, I think that was a Monday, no, it was a Tuesday, Thursday course, or it might have even been just one day a week. And it was a long class. So it was just five minutes of that was painful. And the long class was even more painful. This virology course, um, after Dr. Jacobs left, um, and I, I, I sincerely hope whoever is doing it now is actually good. Because it it's such an awesome course and such an awesome subject. And very relevant, because I'm, I'm recording this today, actually, on um, Wednesday, April 1st, 2020. Kind of uh, just before the, the crest of the COVID-19 um, pandemic. And relevant, anyway, is what I'm saying. So, getting back. This course, which I loved because of these tangents, because the guy was interested and enthused, was destroyed, um, at least for this semester. And what I want to do, if anything, with this is give you the parts that I really liked. Uh, not necessarily of that course. I don't, I don't claim to be at Dr. Jacobs' level of you know, interesting and insightful and knowledgeable. Uh, but I do have a lot of knowledge about a lot of subjects. I do have a lot of tangents that I will go on. And I hope to make this something that, well, maybe you'll do what Gil does and put it on in the background and just find it relaxing. And because I have a little bit of a, uh, in his words, sort of zen, um, not quite monotone drone, although that was one of, my, uh, one of my podcasts, partly as a joke at myself. But I do have a sort of voice that, uh, you know, sort of the traditional radio, maybe not, not the shock jock radio, but more of the NPRE, uh, which incidentally on paper, I should love NPR. I'm not a fan. I'm not, I, I don't know why I can't, it's the most excruciating thing for me because I would fit in to NPR in terms of how I talk, the kinds of subjects I'm interested in, my politics. Uh, if you're, you know, I'm going to be very open about this. I am pretty left leaning. Um, but I try to be pretty open. I, I don't like when people pretend that they're, I'm totally neutral and unbiased. I have a perspective. Um, I try to step back from my perspective and see things from other people's perspectives, which sadly a lot of people don't do. That should be like a standard thing, but it, it definitely isn't. But I have a perspective. Um, it informs why I'm interested in things. It informs why I think certain things. And it also should inform your interpretation of the things I say and do. And when people pretend not to, you know, like the, the worst example of this would be Fox News. And it, although I'm picking them out, certainly not 
the only example. This is a very common problem. Um, but they have a perspective and their marketing is all fair and balanced when they're in fact the opposite. Um, it, it's ridiculous. Actually, I understand, you know, if you, I, I would like to speak to people who are people who watch Fox News, but if you watch that stuff, um, it is poisoning your mind. And it is, I'm certainly not gonna tell you that MSNBC or CNN or any of these are not poisoning people's minds. Um, I, I, I've had cable TV or any, I have a TV now, but it's all like internet stuff. Um, haven't had that stuff, haven't watched TV news in um, probably comfortably over a decade. The only time I ever encounter this stuff is like I'll be in a, uh, in a gym or some public place and I'll see it. And when I see it, it's like, oh God, you know, or I'll see clips on um, like people tweet something. I'll read that. And I see this and it's just like, you, you can tell there is this endemic problem, which actually touches back. And this is one of the things about the tangents. They're all kind of, it's not just that I'm going off in some direction. There's, there's, there is a connection. Touches one of the problems with education, which is it's all about making money. It's all about profit at any cost. Um, it's not journalism so much. In fact, people who are actually journalists get paid worse than teachers, which is ironic because these are two of the most important professions for the ongoing survival of our, uh, of our democracy and our civilization. And I say that with no hyperbole, but they are paid shit. It's terrible. They're screwed over in so many ways. They do freelance work and maybe don't get paid for three months or get totally fucked. Um, or, you know, if they actually want to do journalism, which like real journalism is a lot of work. You know, you see the product and that product is like a journal article and not ironically, not, you know, but like a research paper. You've done a shit ton of research and that paper is the distillation of everything you've learned. What has happened in journalism, and now you have to use air quotes journalism, um, is that it's all about clicks. It's all about crapping out a bunch of words that mean nothing. Uh, you have the CNN, and again, I don't watch CNN, but I've seen clips of this. The CNN thing where you have like nine people, like you're having some kind of a, a teleconference, and they're all talking on top of each other. They're all uh, throwing out uninformed opinions. Uh, you have all these people who just, I mean, have, honestly have no business talking about these subjects. I, I'm a subject matter expert in a number of things, and I would hesitate to talk about a lot of these things, but you have this problem where you'll have people who maybe have a domain of expertise, and that's generous, but then they'll go way outside of it, and it is terrible. You know, I, I, not, I'm, I'm going to name some names here, but don't. This is a physics guy who I like. I actually had his book. Um, he, he did a lot of good stuff with particle field theory. Uh, but there's this guy named Cacao. And he is very good in his subject, uh, in his domain. But he started doing these uh, like science videos and things. Um, and then he started getting paid for it and started getting you know, a lot of accolades for it. And so he started getting some momentum in this. And then the next thing you know, he's doing 
all kinds of stuff where he's talking. I mean, he has a very uh, professorly kind of authoritative voice. He seems like somebody who knows stuff. And he became kind of a mouthpiece for just random bullshit. Um, a lot of it like verging on pseudoscience and quackery. And certainly, even when it wasn't that, things that were way outside of his expertise that he had no business talking about. Um, I will pontificate on stuff like that sometimes, but I will try to preface it with, I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert. And anything I say, also, just to give you a bit of my epistemology, everything I say is my sort of view of the world. Epistemology is your understanding of how you know things. My view of the world is that there's probably an objective observer-independent reality um, that we all share. Probably, not guaranteed. But we never have like complete understanding or complete certainty in anything, including that. And all we can do is get successive approximations. We can observe things and we can see patterns and we can try to test them. And we can't actually prove anything, but we can eliminate possibilities. And by shaving off those possibilities, we get closer and closer approximations to the truth, the ground objective reality that exists out there. Um, what has happened, yeah, what has happened in, uh, in life, and one of the things that has fed into this horrible idea of fake news is that people are making articles, making news, news stories, um, and really, I, I'd say committing journalistic malpractice, not even because they have a choice or because they want to, but because that's what pays. That's our, 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 our culture, our civilization has gotten to this point where you are rewarded financially for being a terrible person. Um, you look at uh, like pharmaceutical executives, for example, they are pulling money out of research. They're taking publicly funded research, bottling it up, doing a little bit of testing, kind of like packaging, packaging productization of that, uh, pushing it through the F FDA and uh, marketing it. They, on a new drug, they spend more money on marketing than research. Uh, look that up, it's true. It's crazy, like crazy. And they do this and ended up actually realizing that the way to really make money is not even to develop drugs, but to take drugs that you already have or to buy up companies that have patents for other drugs. Buy those up, and especially drugs that people desperately need, like insulin. Um, insulin was developed using public funding. Uh, the guy who had the patent originally on it sold it for $1 to, uh, for human insulin. $1 because he wanted it to be for the betterment of all my mankind. Um, we have this recombinant human insulin, which is grown in these big vats, just like you would grow beer. Uh, it's just a fermentation process, then you separate it out. And, but it is human, it is the same protein as human insulin, um, or the same, the same molecule, essentially. And it's, I'm not saying it's free to make, but it's damn cheap. We have this technology that makes it stupidly, stupidly cheap to make. But you have this financialization where finance guys, people who just give a shit about money and nothing else, came in, fucked up these companies, did everything they could to maximize profit, and that meant, uh, yeah, we're gonna ratchet up the prices of these drugs. 
we're going to not invest in new research. And you know, if you want to survive, if you want to not have permanent kidney damage or lose your legs, um, because these are things that happen to you with uncontrolled diabetes, then you're gonna pay. You're gonna pay. Yeah, you know, give us some, give us your fucking money. And it's it's crazy. I mean, and you look at these things. The there's the pharma boy who w did this and just was an asshole about it and made it obvious. But everything that this uh, I, I can't even say his name, Shreki, Shreli, whatever, doesn't even matter. Fuck that guy. Everything this dude did is just standard operating procedure at pharmaceutical companies, and everything that he did just fucked over people. Buy some other company, ratchet up the price, maximize your profit. Winning, winning. You know, get your private jet and go fuck everybody else. Um, I mean, you know, one of the things, I'm, I'm not gonna try to talk about WeWork, guy who made that company, terrible fucking asshole, got a shit ton of money, fucked up the company, threw a bunch of people out of work, and uh, he walked away with all, like three quarters of a billion dollars. And the company still exists because uh, SoftBank threw more money into it. There's, there's this reward system now for being a terrible person. Um, you know, in journalism, again, journalism air quotes, people are rewarded for clicks. Um, Brett Stevens, New York Times. This dude, terrible fucking person. You know, honestly, should not have a job. Uh, this guy, his first the idea, the idea is actually almost noble. It's like, we want a diversity of perspectives. So we're gonna hire this guy. First article he writes was on anthropogenic climate change, which is also fucking relevant now with this outbreak because this pandemic, because it's one of these things where if you know the science and you look at the exponential curve for the number of people who have this infection and you see where it's going, you are scared shitless. Um, if you understand the climate science, the actual science of what we're putting into the environment, our environment, and what that's going to do, you look down the road, it should scare the shit out of you. But the problem is people don't see it because it's kind of, it's very slow. It's kind of off in the distance and things seem more or less normal. You, know, you do start noticing some things. I, I know in my lifetime already, I've seen pretty big changes, but it's over the course of decades. And it's also like a lot of these things are not so severe yet that um, they're horrifying, but they, they're fucking horrifying. And you have all of these people though, who um, they, this will be the last one, I mean, another tangent. All of these things will either weave together now or they will in future episodes. So, you know, follow. But uh, other horrible example is Boeing. Boeing used to be this, I'm not saying they were ever a great company, you know, military contractor, some, you know, making things to blow people up. Um, not the greatest thing. But that being said, they used to be run by engineers. They used to be run by people who knew what the fuck they were doing and who actually cared. But then these finance guys, again, came in, tried to maximize profit at any cost, start cutting corners, start uh, getting this really chummy relationship with the FAA and other regulatory agencies uh, to the point where they could basically rubber stamp their own designs and things that, you know. And so you have the 737 MAX, which was just 
basically it came down to they didn't want to design a new airframe because getting it certified is very expensive and takes a long time. So they tacked on these big, highly efficient engines in a way that they could to the old 737 airframe. And in doing so, made it made its dynamics change quite considerably. And then again, to save money, um, you know, Southwest and these other airlines didn't want to pay to certify the pilots for the new aircraft. So they put in a bunch of sort of half-assed stuff, equipment and software to compensate and make it fly kind of like the old 737s and ended up killing people. Uh, Boeing also fucked up uh, the Starliner and this other, like a, a bunch of things that um, it's, it's just frustrating because these guys have so much money and if they wanted to could build such amazing shit and yet these fucking finance guys just so they can get a bigger bonus just so that their next quarter stock prices can go up would make these terrible decisions and as, as you can see now these terrible decisions have a very real cost even in the sense of money you know, like personal greed five ten years out these decisions you pay for you know they might help you next quarter but in the long run they're gonna fuck you um, so I, I guess this just hit a, a half hour um, I'm going to cut pretty soon anyway because I have a call that I have to take but I just I look at this stuff and um, man it's just it's so frustrating so unnecessary and with all of that um, actually this will be the the bow to tie this up uh, my friend Gil guy who sang the, um, the song at the beginning of this one of the things that I used to always try to do was make a selfish argument for things which is this horrible like neoliberal ism that's you know like oh well even from personal interest uh, it's worth investing in schools because if you put more money into schools that gets paid off several fold this is true by the way that gets paid off several fold both in terms of increases in property values and in general uh, like societal good that it does it's a it's an investment that from a selfish perspective you'd be an idiot not to take uh, if you had if somebody offered you 300 times return or 300 percent return rather um, on something in the sort of time scale that this has you'd be a fool not to put all your money into it um, but the problem is fuck that you should not need that selfish argument and every time I make that selfish argument what I'm really doing and what Gil convinced me of is that you are feeding into that idea that you need to do it this way you need this selfish or selfish argument and it's actually an okay thing to do fuck that it is the right thing to do uh, there is a selfish reason to do it but that doesn't mean that you should do it for the selfish reason you should do it because it is the right fucking thing to do so with that thank you very much um, I will do this regularly um, this I think because I'm limiting the scope of what I'm of my ambition here uh, should be a thing that I can do and then I will I'm, I'm capturing assets so I can add in the other pieces that I want to eventually um, but with that I hope I hope you enjoy it I hope you get something from it I know I will thank you very much Zai Jen